Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Turn to somebody close to you and say, it's great to see you. Amen. Turn to somebody else and tell them, you look awesome tonight. Amen. So excited to be here in Watertown, South Dakota, Great Plains Hyphen Conference. Thank you for the honor of being here. I wonder for a moment before I get into all the people that I would like to give honor to, if we could give honor to this church and everybody who has made preparation leading up to this for making it happen. Amen. Come on, we could do better than that. That's like a golf clap. There's a lot of people that have worked hard, prayed, and fasted, and cleaned, and vacuumed. Amen. And so I am so thankful for everybody who is responsible for this. I give honor to Bishop Mark Brown, superintendent. I love my friend so very much. Thankful for the impact that he's had not only in South Dakota, but across our fellowship. I honor him and his family. I love his family so very much. Also to Pastor and Sister Chemist, thank you so much for your vision and burden. South Dakota Youth President, also the pastor of this local church. Let's give it up for these great leaders. Thank you so much. I believe in giving honor where it's due. Amen. I appreciate them so much. And to Brother Green, who's going to be preaching tomorrow night, I honor him. Thankful to be here with some of my closest friends. I give honor to my pastor, Pastor Houston. I appreciate him allowing me to be here. And also, I give honor to my family. I don't usually travel without my family. It's a rare occurrence, especially two weekends in a row. Uh, but my son was sick last weekend, so uh, they were unable to be with me in now this weekend. But I believe they do have a picture. Uh, they have a picture. That's my wife, beautiful, godly wife, Summer. I love her. And then the next picture is my little man. You can tell by the way he's looking at me. He is a daddy's boy through and through. He's been that way since he was six months old, and I love my family so very much, and I'm honored that I have a supporting wife who covers me in prayer and supports me as I go and do what God has called me to do. Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bibles, I'm so thankful for the freedom, presence of the Holy Ghost that we feel in this service. I never want to get used to feeling God's presence to where it becomes such a place of familiarity that it doesn't do anything. I want to know that there are people out there who are starving for what we have. And may we never get so spoiled and so accustomed to it that it doesn't do anything for us. And they've got to sing just the right song. And if the soloist is off key, it's going to offend us. And if the bass player doesn't play it like we want him to play it, then we're just not going to move. I don't care what's being sung. I don't care who's singing. I don't care what note you miss or don't miss. I don't know music, so I wouldn't know it anyway. All that I care about is I get to lift up the name of Jesus. Come on, that I've been washed in his blood. Anybody remember what God's brought you from? Amen. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they had fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then he said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. So pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into the harvest. I want to draw your attention to verse number 36 when the Bible says that when Jesus saw the multitudes, 
He was moved with compassion. I don't have a fancy sermon. In fact, I didn't know what I was preaching until last night when I got into town. The Lord began to deal with me. And so I'm just going to be obedient to what I feel God has spoken to me in prayer. And I want to preach very simply on this first night of what's going to be a powerful weekend. Moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. Before you see it one more time, could we lift up our hands and our voices and could we pray? Come on, if you've come with expectation, I want you to lift your voice right now. Come on, I wonder if you can lift up your voice and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. God, I'm hungry. <laughs> Let there be no distractions. Let there be no preconceived ideas. God, let there be a flow of the Holy Ghost. In the name of Jesus Christ, let the angels of the Lord be loose in this room even now, God. Minister to your people. We are hungry for you, God. Come on, would you just let that flow for just a moment? <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. In Matthew chapter 9, proceeding to the verses that we read, we see Jesus doing a number of things. Bible says in verse number 3 that he heals a man that is sick of the palsy and forgives his sin. In verse number 9, he sees Matthew sitting at the receipt of the custom and he calls him to follow him. Verse 14, he teaches his disciples about fasting and new wine and new wineskins. In verse number 22, there was a lady who had an issue of blood for 12 years and she had went to all manner of doctors but was no better, but rather grew worse and spent all that she had, a disease that made her an outcast for society, a disease that said she was so dirty that anything she touched would be unclean. But one touch from the, the cloth or the garment of Jesus Christ made her clean in just a moment. In verse number 25, he heals a young girl that the crowd said that she was dead, but Jesus said she was just asleep. And they laughed in mockery, but... As always, Jesus was right. And the Bible says the young girl came to life. In verse number 29, he heals two blind men. Both of them immediately begin to see and follow him. And then again in verse 33, 
the Bible says he cast out a devil and a dumb man. All of these things happen. And most people may not experience them in their entire lifetime, but yet Jesus does all of this in less than 40 verses. But out of all of chapter 9, it builds to what I believe is one of the most stirring texts in the New Testament. When it says in Matthew 9, 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed all manner of sickness and disease among the people. Now some people, they had a ministry this fruitful. They wouldn't bother to look at anything else. But Jesus, the Bible says in the next verse, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them because they fainted and they scattered as sheep having no shepherd. I want you to consider what is being said when the Bible says that Jesus was moved with compassion. He wasn't satisfied with 40 verses of a powerful ministry. There was something about the nature of Jesus Christ that in spite of all the miracles he saw and all the powerful things that he experienced, when he saw someone who was lost, it moved him. There was something about our Savior that he had this relentless love for those that when he gazed upon him, it literally moved him to a place of emotion that visibly affected him. The word compassion in the Greek literally means an emotion that you feel in your stomach. It's a spiritual emotion that is so strong that it manifests publicly and physically. And so when Jesus, when he looked at the multitudes, the Bible says he was moved with compassion. I want you to notice Jesus did not just experience compassion. Jesus did not just feel compassion. That's what we do when we pass the man with a jar on the side of the road. We feel a moment of compassion and we drop $5 in the jar and we go on about our way, never once thinking about him again. But no, Jesus did not experience compassion. Jesus did not feel compassion. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. Now consider that Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. So as a human, he had been on the earth for 33 and a half years. But as God, he knows the end from the beginning. But there was something about the loss that moved him. It was compassion that moved God to be manifested in human flesh. To become subject to the world and the elements that he created. It was compassion that would move him to Gethsemane. Where he would begin to pray so fervently. That the Bible says it was like great drops of blood. Sweat was falling from his brow. And it was wetting the dirt beneath him. It was compassion that moved him. Knowing what was right around the corner. It was compassion that moved him to say. Not my will. But thy will be done. It was compassion that moved him to a whipping post where they would make him an open spectacle and beat him for no reason. It was compassion that would move Jesus to Calvary where he would willingly take the nails in his hands and his feet and the crown of thorns on his head. It was compassion that moved Jesus to be crucified for us. Why? Because when Jesus looks at the loss, he's moved. He couldn't stay still. He couldn't remain inactive. He had to move. So I asked you on this first night of this great conference, when is the last time that compassion moved you? 
When is the last time that compassion moved you to a place of prayer where your prayer meeting was no longer about you, but such an intercession came upon you as you begin to weep for the souls of your city? When's the last time you could barely walk through the mall or drive down the road because compassion began to sweep over you and it struck you the harsh reality that is these people don't find out about the gospel, they're going to be lost. I'm not talking about feeling compassion or experiencing it, but allowing it to move you. Allowing it to interfere with your daily life. Allowing it to disrupt your comfort zone. The Lord began to stir me so strong. I was moved to tears as I thought about the compassion that Jesus had. And he looked at the loss. I'll never forget when I first experienced what I would call compassion. I was a younger youth pastor and I was driving the church van, dropping students off. And he got to the last guy that I was scheduled to drop off. It was late at night. We had a youth rally. His name was Randy. Randy got the Holy Ghost and got baptized. I was discipling him. We were in a Bible study for months. And I'll never forget in the church van as I pulled up to his grandmother's house. He come from a broken home. And just amazing what God had done in his life. But we talked for a little bit. Then Randy got out of the van. And when he shut the door, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I began to weep uncontrollably. I began to weep so strong that I could barely see the road. And as I began to drive back to the church, I didn't understand what was going on. I began to weep, and the tears were flowing like a river. And then all of a sudden, I began to pray because I was seeking God. What is going on? Are my emotions just just, just, just out of whack? I didn't know what was going on. And I began to seek God. God, why am I weeping like this? And as I began to pray, God began to begin to burden me to pray an intercessory prayer. And then about 15 to 20 minutes later, the Lord spoke to me and said, Drew, what you are feeling is compassion. This is what I feel when I look at my people. And the Lord began to reveal to me those emotions that I were feeling. It's not because my emotions were out of whack. It's not just because I was tenderhearted. But in that moment, God began to allow me to feel what it feels like to have compassion for a soul. And as I got back to the church, I remember laying my head on the steering wheel. And I remember saying, God, I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm so used to being Pentecostal. And I'm so used to being apostolic. And I've had the Holy Ghost for so long. That I forget what I was like before somebody reached me. I don't want to give her, I don't want to ever get so tough. I don't ever want to get so used to salvation. I remember praying that night, God. I'm asking you to make my heart tender. Something shifted in, in, in my life that night. I remember making a vow to God that I was going to let compassion move me to advance his kingdom. Sometimes, hear me, in the grind of life and in the cycles of ministry, the routine of doing the work of God, we can forget what our original purpose is. And that is what Jesus said his purpose was. And that was to seek and save that which was lost. But if the idea of someone being lost without God doesn't move you, then you're never going to be moved to help them. When you read through the Gospels in the book of Acts, you witness compassion, not just moving Jesus, but his disciples. 
Jesus instituted very clearly to his disciples that his kingdom had one foundational purpose, and that was to reach those that were lost. That's why in Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus calls his very first disciple, the Bible says, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brethren. They were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said, follow me. But that isn't all that I want you to do. Peter and Andrew, I want you to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, when you follow me, it starts a process of me making you into something. And that is a fisher of men because any commitment to follow Jesus always comes with the responsibility to reaching the loss. It doesn't matter what our preference is. It doesn't matter what our personality type is because he makes us into that. There's something woven in the Holy Ghost. It should create a longing. It should create a burden. I don't want anybody to be lost. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus emphatically told them, that's easy. You've got to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. But the second is like unto the first, that you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's not just enough to love Jesus. We have to love people. Perhaps everyone in this room could quote Acts 2.38 out loud. We know it. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But I want you to understand something. That's not all he said. Because the very next verse in verse number 39 says, For the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off. Before any disciple received the Holy Ghost, Jesus made it very clear what the Holy Ghost was for. That's why he said in Acts 1 and 8, But you're going to receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. What's the power for? To be a witness. Here's what I know. If we can learn to love Acts 2.39 as much as we do Acts 2.38, I believe we can make a difference in our world. I believe it grieves the heart of God for someone who has experienced Acts 2.38 but doesn't live Acts 2.39. There are two types of people in this world. People who need to hear the gospel and people who need to share the gospel. Because once you hear it, it's your responsibility to share it. But unless compassion moves you, we will sit in our circles of comfort. We'll sing our three songs and go home. We'll hear our preaching and we'll gloat and celebrate about the fact that we're apostolic and we got the truth. But my question to you is, did God give us the truth to just sit around and collect it? Or did he call us to be a carrier of the gospel? He calls us to be a vessel. We are not vaults. That's when the Bible says we have this treasure and earthen vessels. The apostles changed their world because compassion moved them. The book of Acts details for us the power of Holy Ghost filled believers being moved for a compassion for souls. The Bible says compassion moved them to preach in spite of persecution because the Bible says when they beat them and they commanded them that they should not go and speak in the name of Jesus, the Bible says they departed from the presence of the council and they counted themselves. 
couldn't believe it that we could be beaten for the name of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that they cease not to teach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know why they had such a burden to preach the gospel? Because if somebody's not preaching it, that means somebody's not hearing it. And if somebody's not hearing it, then nobody's getting saved. But the people who are lost are counting on the people who are already saved. That's why the Bible says, how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? We're all sent. That's what the word apostolic means. We're sent. We're sent as sheep among wolves. But we got to remember our mission. Our mission is not to be a good guitar player. Our mission is not to be a great preacher. Our mission is not to be a great singer. No. Our mission is that somebody would hear the gospel. The gospel. I wonder if you can lift up your hands right now and tell God you're available. Come on, let compassion move you. Let it move you. Compassion moved the apostles. Jesus did not fill us with the Holy Ghost for just salvation purposes. And I'm afraid as we sit sometimes in our circles of comfort and celebrate our salvation, the rest of the world is perishing. Our world is broken. It doesn't take a lot of spiritual discernment to see the attack of the enemy right now on our families, on our churches. I know that everybody is fighting. I know that everybody is battling, but I can tell you in my own life, in our own church, we dealt with three suicides in the past two months. One of those being my my half-brother, 23 years old. I tried to reach him. I tried to teach him Bible studies just one month before he took his own life I reached out to him and I did everything I could why? because I know that there's an enemy who's got a radical pursuit of every person but there's got to be a church who can stand in the gap and say you know what I'm going to pray and I'm going to go I'm going to teach I'm going to reach God forbid that the only time we preach the gospel is in a room full of people that have already heard it Jesus is counting on us. Satan knows he has but a short time. The Bible tells us that. So there's an all-out war with depression. I can't tell you the amount of students that I've counseled with over the last year that are dealing with depression. A student that I went to the Lord and I discipled. He's in our church. I taught him Bible studies for months. Just two months ago, I took him to dinner because I could tell something was off. But here's what I didn't know. That he went to the doctor and they prescribed him some depression medication. And it causing the slip into a suicidal place. He showed me the knife. He said, I've tried and I've thought about taking my life on numerous times. He said, I know it would send me to hell. He said, but I can't explain to you the dark place I'm in. And I began to counsel with him and pray for him. And I got him help. And I can tell you today, God refilled him with the Holy Ghost and he's doing better. Why? Because compassion, it wouldn't let me give up on him. You've got to have it in your spirit. I'm not going to give up on him. If my my family's going to go to hell. They got to step over my prayers and my days of fasting and my outreach. (laughs) 
Come on, somebody's got to say enough is enough. Somebody's got to say enough is enough. They mean too much. I'm not just going to bow down. I'm not just going to give up. Compassion has to move us. The Bible says Stephen was a man full of faith, power, and the Holy Ghost. And they stoned him for being an apostle. But the Bible says in the middle of them hurling the stones, compassion moved him to say this prayer. Lord, lay not their sin to their charge. Only compassion could cause a man to pray for his murderers. But a man that had compassion on souls made an influence on a man named Saul who was sitting there and watched him be stoned. That man would become the Apostle Paul and he would learn how to be moved with compassion because the Bible says that he made this statement in 1 Corinthians 16. Whoa! It's me if I preach not the gospel. Whoa! Whoa! You know who the best preachers of the gospels are? The one who remembers what it did for you. What it brought you out of. The change that broke in your life. I'm convinced that two things cripple compassion. Number one is carnality. Number two is you become indifferent. And it doesn't mean anything to you anymore. Because when it still moves you, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that somebody else has the same experience that you had. Compassion. I want to be moved. I want to be moved. I want to be moved. I wanted to move my prayer life. I'll never forget as a new convert when God first allowed me to feel what intercession was like. Intercession is where we go spiritually, where we can't go physically, but we're still going. I want to ask you this. If God answered all of your prayers in the last seven days, would anybody be saved? Or would you just be more powerful and more anointed and have a bigger ministry? It's not the will of God that we come to Great Plains and go back to our cities and go back to normality. Oh, no. Not when there are people with needles in their arms. Not when there are people who are broken. Somebody's got to be moved. Somebody's got to be moved. Somebody's got to be moved. The reason that I am so passionate about this is because I wouldn't be here today if somebody wouldn't have let compassion move them. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 19, 12 years ago this summer, July the 4th, 2010. Got the baptized shortly thereafter. But you got to know the backstory. It was August of 2005. Hurricane Katrina ravaged our city. I just happened to live next door to an old man who had a son and a daughter-in-law who were Pentecostal. My family, we didn't have a lot of money. We were we didn't have a generator. When you live in Louisiana in August, with no generator, that's hot. We were rolling on the tile floor back and forth trying to find a cool spot. And our neighbors 
They said, listen, we have a cabin on the campgrounds. Would you like to go? I was eating MREs, their version of a combo. That's how I was living. If you ever had red meats from an MRE, you know how bad I was struggling. They said, do you want to go? I said, yes. I barely knew the people. I didn't know if they were going to kill me, but I said, it's worth a shot to get some AC. So I told my mom, I said, hey, they invited me to go to the campgrounds. Can I go? Please say yeah, because I already told them I was going. She agreed. I thought we were going. My brother, I thought we were going to like a campground to go swimming, skiing, and fishing, and just have fun. So we pulled up in Tioga, and I read the sign, United Pentecostal Church Campgrounds. And I thought, oh, God. That was my introduction to the church. But hear me. I wasn't the person you would have wanted around your family. But there was something about compassion. They, they saw me. They knew I was just a thug from Bogalusa. They said, he needs God. I have a picture. This is when I was 14. If you had that first picture, that's me in the number 22 shirt. That's me in the cabin on the campground when I found out about the United Pentecostal Church. The guy to the left in the American Eagle shirt, his name is Sean. That's his dad and sister. That's my best friend, Caleb, in the middle. We all went. I said, look, if I'm going, my best friend's coming with me. That way, if I die, we're going to die together. While I was there, they were having outdoor services at the pavilion. They had a clothes drive in the DCC building there. I went and grabbed some clothes. And when I went home, these people had made such an impact on me with their love. And they started picking me up for church every Wednesday, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night. They had no idea if I would ever even convert. But there's just something about compassion. And when you see somebody that's in need, you got to at least try. I went to church with them for a year and a half. I never got the Holy Ghost. Bishop, I never got baptized. But they picked me up every week. They paid my way to go to youth camp. There was some stuff that happened. I ended up just getting bitter. I just had a bad attitude. I didn't know anything about respect and leadership. I was a freshman in college. I came home one night to my apartment. My best friend Caleb lived with me and my best friend Trayvon. It was March of 2010. And when I laid down in the bed, it felt like someone just began to blow like a big fan in my room. I could feel the wind blowing. And I'd been in the presence of God enough when they brought me to church that I knew what the Holy Ghost was. And I knew that was God reaching for me because there's something about compassion. It just doesn't give up on me. God had every right to give up on me. I heard enough preaching to be saved. I'd already heard about being baptized in Jesus' name. But I was still rebellious. I was still living in immorality. God could have washed his hand with me. But he didn't. Because there's something about compassion. March, April, and May, every night when I would go to lay down, I would feel that wind blow. And I knew the Holy Ghost was reaching for me. And I said, Jesus, I'm going to go home this summer. And I'm going to get right. I knew what I needed to do. I went home in June. Those nightly visitations stopped. They happened every night for three months. They stopped. And the first week of July, I had a dream. And I could see my family. They were just walking over the edge into this lava pit. They would look at me and they would fall. My mom, my stepdad, both of my best friends, my cousins, and the Lord. For the first time in my life that I can remember, the Chris God spoke to me. He said, this is what's going to happen to your family if you don't serve me. Because they don't know who I am. 
but you do. I woke up. That was July the 1st. I woke up with tears running down my face. I went to church that Sunday, and God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I went. I got baptized in Jesus' name. But you know where it all started? A family being moved by compassion. A family that had enough compassion on me to invite me into their home, to bring me to church. Their son taught me into his marvelous light. He taught me a Bible study. He taught me how to pray. We would have all night prayer meetings together. We would go on fast together. We would preach together. We would go to services together. And then all of a sudden something happened in his life. He got bitter and he got angry. It got so bad that he, he wasn't even allowed to come around our youth group anymore because he had such an anger issue. And he was backslidden for nine years person who won me to the Lord was backslidden for nine years. That last October, I hadn't talked to him in months. Compassion started working on me. I reached out to him and I said, hey, Sean, I said, I know we haven't talked in a while. We've been friends since we were kids. I said, let's go to lunch. He said, let's do it. We scheduled. I went on family vacation. He texted me on a Saturday. He found his dad dead on the kitchen floor. No explanation. I'm talking about somebody that was cold, hard. I hadn't seen him shed a tear in nine years. The person that we used to have all night prayer meetings together. The person who taught me how to pray. I hadn't seen him pray in nine years. And one month before his dad died, I'd been praying. I'd been fasting for him. And the Holy Ghost checked me and said, you need to reach out to him. One month later, his dad dies. I get home for vacation. I go to the hospital. They got him. They got him on the, the, the ventilator. And we're praying. We're believing. Nothing happens. He dies. Me and my pastor preach his funeral. A week later, I went out of town with my pastor. I said, can we invite Sean to come? He said, yeah. While we were there, everybody was asleep one night. And I remember we were sitting there in the hotel. And I saw it. I saw this glimmer of life come back. He said, man, you remember the prayer meetings we used to have? You remember how we would just linger in the church and sleep on the pews because we didn't want to leave? I said, oh, yeah. I said, Sean, I want you to know something. For the last nine years, I've been praying for you. I've been fasting for you. And I said, the door that you walked out of, God wants you to know it's still open. And you can come home. And then in December, I want you to show the last picture. That's him right there with his hands over his eyes. It's been nine years. But I watched as my friend, he came to the altar. And these were the words I heard him pray. Oh, God, open up my heart. And I wrapped my arms around the person who told me how to pray. I wrapped my arms around the person who told me the Bible study. I wrapped my arms around the person who introduced me to the church. And I began to pray for him. And for the first time in nine years, his back began to shake. And tears began to flow. And God refilled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. But for nine years, compassion moved me to pray. For nine years, compassion moved me to fast. I'm preaching to somebody in this room. It's time for you to let compassion move you. Move you. I want you to stand to your feet and throw your hands in the air. So, Torah, Bayakataya, Dalabo, Shatai. 
Maybe you need to find a place to repent and tell God we're sorry of allowing things to get in the way. We're sorry of allowing trivial things to take the place. I want to be moved. I want to be moved. Somebody is counting on you. Somebody needs you. Will you hear the call tonight and let compassion move you, move you.